You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. I was a youth minister before I was demoted to being a lead pastor. And when I was a youth minister, we used to play a game called Would You Rather? We played that pretty often, kind of as an icebreaker, get to know people. And I was reminded of that this week with the, the big competition in social media between the Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich and the Popeye uh, chicken sandwich. And it's kind of fun watching that kind of play out. And of course, you know, the, the winner, hands down, is the Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich, of course, over Popeye. But it's because, it's because God's anointing is on the Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich. I think the Lord puts it in the peanut oil or something like that. And so I was thinking this week, like, wouldn't it be fun, like, if we played Would You Rather at church on Sunday morning, we kind of get to know some people around us. And so here's what, how Would You Rather game goes. I'm going to give you two choices, and they might both be good choices, or they may both be bad choices, but you're going to have to choose one of these two things. And just turn to a neighbor or two around you and just kind of give them what that answer would be. Now, you may not know a whole lot of people around you, which is going to make this game really awkward. But we tend to embrace awkward here at Highlands. So I hope you get to know a couple of people through this. I'm going to give you the would you rather. And you just turn around to people around you and you tell them which one of these two things you would rather do. Number one, here's the first would you rather question for all of us this morning as we play together. Would you rather find $10 million or find your true love? Now, if you're sitting next to your true love... Or someone who thinks they are your true love. Make sure you answer that one wisely today. So turn around and tell a couple of people, how would you answer that? $10 million or finding your true love? All right, good, 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 good. Here's the second question I have for you. No pressure on this one at all. There's no wrong answers on this and so but this is a pretty pretty deep question so I want you to think about this with me and then give the answer to the people around you here's my second would you rather would you rather have legs as long as fingers or fingers as long as legs so why don't you turn around discuss that deep theological question with one another which one would you rather have turn a couple people around you give them that would you rather All right, here's the third question. Here's the third question. I'll go back to, uh, I'll go back to money because it seemed like y'all didn't like that one as well. So here's the third one. Would you rather win a million dollars or your best friend win $10 million? Again, if you're seated next to your best friend, it's a very easy answer. Why don't you turn around and give that would you rather real quick? All right, here's the fourth would you rather question that you have. This is also pretty, pretty deep. And actually on this one, there is a right answer and a wrong answer. So here's the would you rather. Would you rather have 500 tarantulas crawling in your house or a thousand cats jumping around your room? So just turn around and discuss that very quickly. Just discuss that among yourselves. All right, very good. There was, of course, 
a right answer on that one, a very biblical answer, and that is you would always choose tarantulas over cats any, any day of the week, yes? I'll go and go on record. I'd rather have 500 tarantulas in my house than one cat in my neighborhood. So that's about how much I, I think about cats. If you like cats, it's john-durham at highlandbc.org. Just send me an email this afternoon, and we'll discuss that a little bit more. So in this game of Would You Rather, you have these, these two options, and you have to to choose one thing. And some of these, again, options, two of them were bad options, or maybe both of them were, were good options, but you had to come up with, with like a, a final answer. What, what, which one am I gonna choose? When the book of, of 1 Timothy, these next several weeks, what we're gonna do is we're gonna pit two words against one another. And then you're gonna have to choose which of those words you're gonna live out this week, this year, this life. The two words I wanna pit against one another this morning is the word wisdom and foolishness. And our desire today is that all of us would walk out of this place choosing wisdom over foolishness. And probably a lot of you go, of course I'm gonna choose wisdom over over being a fool. Well, here's, here's what Jesus said. The Bible tells us that there's a very wide road and it's a foolish road and many find it. Then Jesus said, there's a a very narrow road. It's a road of of wisdom. If you find that road and walk that road, it's a a road of those who are wise and and very few people find it. So this morning, let's, let's see what God's word says to all of us, living a life, choosing wisdom over foolishness. I would encourage you to turn to your New Testament book of First Timothy. A lot of you are new at Highland. We encourage you to bring your Bible with you every week or at least your smartphone or your iPad so you can go to your Bible app and be there together. It will always be on the screen behind me as well. But let's go to First Timothy. And as you turn to First Timothy, just know it is a book written by a mentor, Paul, to a young believer by the name of Timothy. So it's a teacher to a follower, an older believer, a mature believer to a younger believer. And this older mentor, he is, he is speaking to this, this young believer about how to live a life of wisdom. I think probably most of us in this house, we would jump at the chance to have someone a little older than we are to help us navigate life and advise us on decisions and to show us the way of the wise and to stay off of the path of, of the fools. So this morning, let's just start. This is a good place to start. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verse one, First Timothy chapter one, verse one. We begin to see a little bit of the heart of, of Paul toward Timothy, an older believer toward a younger believer. It says here in verse one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God, our savior, and by the command of Christ Jesus, he is our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now to moms and dads who are here this morning, you understand the place from which Paul is writing, but I just want us to all understand that Paul is writing from a place of mercy. He's writing from a place of grace. He's, he's writing from a place of care and compassion toward this young believer because Paul wants to lay out for him, here's how to live a life of wisdom. But not only is he coming from this kind of soft, tender place of care and compassion, do you see here Paul's also coming from a place of authority. 
He longs for his spiritual son, his spiritual child, Timothy, to to walk in the depths of faith. He desires for for Timothy to understand what it means to walk in truth. And so in some translations, it says right here, my child. In other translations you might have, it says my son. Paul had this incredible tender feeling toward, toward Timothy. I want you to make it. I want you to live in wisdom. I want you to grow up in the faith. Now we're going to do something this morning at Highland that we've never done before outside of the Would You Rather game we played earlier. And that is this. I'm going to jump all the way to the very end of Timothy today. Because we started here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to jump all the way to 1 Timothy chapter 6. But what's going to happen the next several weeks is we'll fill in the pages. We'll see how often Paul speaks to Timothy, an older believer, speaks to a younger believer to give him encouragement on how to get over something, making one choice over another choice. And so we began here in 1 Timothy chapter 1. We see the care, the compassion, but also the authority of Paul and the life of Timothy. Now, if you don't mind jumping a few pages to the right and go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. Smarter people than I, which is a whole lot of people, says that First Timothy chapter six verse eleven is the, actually the turning point of the letter that Paul is writing to Timothy, and we'll see that here. First Timothy chapter six, verse eleven. But as for you, let's stop. Paul is saying, I, I know there's a lot of things swirling in your mind. There's a lot of things happening, but as for you, let's talk about you. Not people in your circle, not just your friends, not people who are leaving the faith, uh, not presidents and not, not politicians. Let's talk about you. Let's don't talk about other Christians. We don't talk about, let's don't talk about that Christian that you think is a hypocrite who is living a different life than you're living and saying they're living a different life and then, then they're actually walking. Let's don't talk about those people, Paul says. Let's talk about you. Because in chapters one through six, Paul is going to lay out all these ways that the world asks us to behave, things that the world asks us to believe. And so what Paul is going to do in this letter, chapters one through six, he's going to lay out for us. And here's what the world says about money. Here's what the world says about words and our speech. Here's what the world says about sex. Here's what the world says about leaders and about relationships and about church. Even talks in here what the world says about working out and alcohol. But as for you, Timothy, I know what the polls say. I know what the culture is saying. I know what the media is saying. I know what your friends are saying. But as for you, Timothy, I want you to know this. Every now and then I ask you to write some things down and you're welcome to do that or completely ignore that that thought. But here's, here's what you might want to write down, at least if not on a piece of paper, on your heart. The most basic principle of Christianity is Jesus and you. At the end of the day, it's about you knowing Jesus, Christ being in you, the very hope of glory. Now, let me read some of your minds because the the conservatives in the room are saying, wait a minute, preacher, I thought that the basic principle of Christianity was the cross. Yes, so that you could be found in Christ. And the reformed people in the room, they're saying, wait a minute, the basic principle of Christianity is the glory of God. Yes, Jesus died for sinners to save sinners to the glory of God. And the charismatics in the room are going, wait a minute, I thought the basic principle of Christianity was living life in the spirit. Yes, but if you don't have Jesus, you don't have the spirit. 
evangelicals in the room might say, no, wait a minute, the basic principle of, of Christianity is, is sharing the gospel. Yeah, but you have to have Jesus to have something to share. Those who are justice warriors in the room, always wanting to help other people, you're saying, wait a minute, helping others, that's the basic principle of Christianity. Yes, but you have to have some power that's helping you to help other people. So I rest my case. The basic principle of Christianity is Jesus and you. Where are you on that last day in relationship with Jesus? Paul is saying here, it's not about rules. It's not about organizations. It's not about feelings. It's not about your intellect. It's not about your willpower. It's not about your position. It's not about your reputation. It is about you and Jesus, Timothy. And Paul is saying, this is the direction. The world is saying, go this way. Paul is saying to his young believing friend, no, go this way. Live in the path of wisdom. There's a different way for you to live and it's, and it's wise. In fact, often here at Highland, we talk about the upper story of scripture and the lower story of scripture. One of the upper stories of the entire book of 1 Timothy is simply this. What the world calls foolish, God calls wise. And what the world calls wise, often God calls foolish. So he says here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, but as for you, let's talk about you. And then look what, what Paul calls him, O man of God. That's a powerful phrase. O man of God. Anthropos theos in Greek. It is a word that's used of ancient Old Testament prophets. It's a word used of, of, of anointed kings. It's the word used of victorious warriors who are called up to battle. Oh, Timothy, let's talk about you. You are a man of God. Now, why would Paul say this? What was Paul doing? He's reminding the young believer of his identity. This is who you are. Timothy, you've been called out of the world. You are a man of God. So this mentor, Paul, moved by the Holy Spirit, begins to call out to Timothy, this is who you are. This is who you are. Now, why is that so important? The next thing I'm about to say to you, I would highly encourage you, if not to write down, to memorize, to etch it into your heart somewhere, to consider it. This is why Paul was telling Timothy who he is. Here it is. Because behavior flows from identity. We live our lives based on who we think we are. That's why it's been such a problem for so many years that preachers just stand up and ask you to modify your behavior without reminding you who you are in Christ Jesus. But our actions, our behavior always flows from our identity. So if I know who I am as a follower of Christ, then I understand the life that he has called me to live and I understand truly and fully the person that God has called me to be. I would say if there's some of y'all here today and you struggle with, with this question to yourself, why do I keep acting this way? Why do I keep making the, the poor decisions? I know what's wise. I know what is foolish. Why is it that I keep choosing the foolish way? I might say to you this morning, I might challenge you to look at the source of your identity. You know, a lot of us, we don't know who we are in Christ. We are constantly hearing who we are in Christ. We just kind of tend to fall back to some old default identities. Here's what I put in my notes for you as well. We tend to find identity in two default places. If we don't know who we are in Christ or we're not being reminded, Christian, of who we are in Christ, we tend to fall back onto one, what was said to you early. What a parent said to you, of you, about you, 
what a teacher said, what a coach said, what a sibling said, what a neighbor said or a relative said to you or, or of you or about you. So if you're not constantly being reminded from God's word who you are in Christ, then we tend to default back to just what we heard early in life. We tend to kind of fall back onto, again, what was said of us or said about us or said to us. And let me tell you, it might be some incredible things that were said of you, but there's still less than what God says of you today. Or there may be some terribly shady thing said to you or about you or of you and you're living still under that darkness or under that cloud finding your identity and what other people said of you early on in life and then you're watching your actions, you're watching your behavior, you're listening to your words. I always say we need to consider the source of our identity. Not only is that one default setting, the second default setting is what is said to you often today. What friends say of you, what the mirror says of you, what teachers say of you, what parents say of you, what the report card says of you, what the scoreboard says of you, your supervisor says of you, your spouse says of you. And you've heard it so often, these things said of you, to you, or about you, that you've just adopted that identity. And maybe it is terribly shady things that today people say of you, to you, or about you. And you've just adopted that identity and you're just behaving and acting out of that identity. Or again, it may be great things that people are saying of you, to you, or about you. But I'll tell you, it's still lesser than what God says of you. These are our two default identities, brothers and sisters in Christ. If we don't constantly remind ourselves who we are in Jesus, we'll fall back on this. So here's my my big challenge for you this week. Do not let the world define you. Let God tell you who you are. And I think in this passage, I think what Paul, the Holy Spirit wants us to understand once more and listen, the truest thing about you, Christian sister in this house, is that you're a woman of God. The truest thing about you, brothers in Christ in this place this morning, the truest thing about you is that you are a man of God. And when you understand and realize that identity, then you watch how your actions, your thoughts, your speech begins to change because behavior always flows from identity. And so Paul says, but as for you, here's who you are, O man of God, flee these things. I think somewhere down the line, we've given the actors in the New Testament, like this halo of reverence. Like they can never make mistakes. They would never, they would never say the wrong thing or, or do the wrong thing. And yet, actually, when you look at all the characters, the Old Testament and New Testament, frequently they fall into temptation. And here's Timothy. He's a pastor. I mean, he is growing in his faith. He's pastoring a church there in Ephesus. But Paul understands his heart. He understands the heart of a young believer saying, I understand you can choose a wise way, Timothy, or you can choose a foolish path. And so I'm telling you, flee these things. What things? All the things that Paul talks about in chapters one through six, you have to come back for the rest of the story the next few weeks. Paul is saying, stay away from these things. But that's not all Paul says. You know, I think sometimes we have reduced Christianity down to what I can't do or what I shouldn't do or what I need to stop doing or what I need to flee from. But here's the situation, friends. It's hard to flee something that's constantly all around us. So how do we flee these things? How do we flee temptation? How do we flee from sin? Well, I'm glad you asked because, of course, the Scripture gives us the answer right here. Flee these things and pursue 
Flee these things and pursue these things. You see, Christian, if you think that the Christian life is just about not doing things, you'll grow weary. If you're not a Christian here today or very immature in your faith as a Christian here today and you think that that Christianity is about just not doing all these things, I see why you would not want to become a Christian or why you would not want to grow deeper in your faith. But you see, Christianity is not just fleeing these things that will wound you, will hurt you, will kill you. It is also pursuing these things. What does Paul say right here? I want you to pursue these things. You can write this down. We're not called just to flee, but to pursue. This is the balance in the Christian life. I apologize on behalf of every pastor that told you just to get away from things. Hey, get away from things and go to something. We flee the things of this world. We pursue the things of God. And look at these great words that Paul is asking us to pursue. He tells us to pursue righteousness. That's that's right decisions based on your right standing with God through Jesus Christ and his completed work on the cross. Pursue righteousness. The next word, pursue godliness. That is living in and living out of the character of God. Pursue these things. Pursue faith. Building your life on the things that you can't see, but they won't give way. Paul says, chase these things down. Pursue these things. Pursue love, the essence of all things that come from God. Pursue steadfastness. What is steadfastness? It's brave endurance. I'm not giving up. And then Paul tells Timothy, choose and pursue righteousness and godliness and, and faith and love and steadfastness. Then he says, and pursue gentleness. That's strength restrained for the good of other people. Chase these things down, Paul says. Don't just flee the things that might wound you, to flee the things that might be from the world, but chase down these things of God. If you're new to Highland today, you just need to know that every now and then I love to teach you a Greek word from the New Testament. So here's your Greek word for the day and for the week, or for some of you for the next two seconds before you forget it. But here's the Greek word. It's dioko. And dioko is the word here in Greek that Paul used for pursue. You know what the word means? Dioko means to put to flight. Like to take off, to press into it. It's not the language of mall walkers. It is like, I'm gonna sprint into this. I am pressing into these things. God, I'm going all after it. I'm going all in. I'm stretching out with everything that I have. I'm gonna pursue these six things, not just flee the things that are behind me, but pursue the things that are in front of me. This may come to a shock, as a shock to many of you, but I ran track as a sprinter in high school at Waco High, just a few blocks away from here. That was many semesters ago and about 45 pounds ago as well. So I don't look as much like a sprinter anymore, like I kind of used to, actually didn't look like one in high school either, now that I think about it. But I had a great coach by the name of Coach Price. And when we'd go and do track practice out on the, on the track, he would always ask the freshman, I remember this as a freshman, to go and get a couple of rolls of toilet paper and to bring toilet paper to to practice. So you can imagine as a 14-year-old freshman being told you'll need three rolls of toilet paper for practice. That made me very anxious about what we're going to actually do in, in practice. And so I got the toilet paper and I realized that what Coach Price liked to do was he would take, have a freshman hold one end of the toilet paper, then roll it out on the other end of the track and have the other freshman or another freshman uh, hold this end of the toilet paper. And he would use that as the finish line. And so when I became a sophomore and a junior and a senior and was running, running track as a sprinter, I didn't have to hold that toilet paper, but we had to break through that toilet paper. 
So as a sophomore, junior, senior, the freshmen, they were told every day, go to the field house. That field house, by the way, is still there, right next to Paul Tyson Field. Go get some toilet paper and string that toilet paper across the, the, the finish line of the track. And so they would teach us. Now, some of you who are sprinters these days, I know it's a different technique, but they taught us something called the drop approach. When you came to the finish line, you stuck your chest out and you threw your hands back. Now, I know it's different today. I'm dating myself with this technique, but you threw your chest out and you threw your hands back and you broke through that toilet paper. We wouldn't do that three or four times of practice. We would do that 30 or 40 times of practice. Thus, the three or four rolls of toilet paper that were needed every time we practiced. Well, toilet paper, that kind of triggers me, even kind of thinking about it. Jennifer always wonders, my wife, like, why do you sprint to the bathroom with your chest out and your, you know, your arms back like that? I don't know, it's this terrible childhood memory as being a teenager running through toilet paper. But what that was, that whole stretching thing, sorry about that whole picture I just gave y'all, just that whole stretching thing, like pushing your chest out, throwing your hands back, that is Dioko. That's like with everything that you have pressing into that. And Paul says, I want you to pursue these things in that way. Highland, friends, brothers and sisters, two words pitted against one another, wisdom and foolishness. And this week I challenge you, based on who God says you are in Christ Jesus, choose wisdom over foolishness. My last word for you today is simply this, the wisest way to live life is to love Jesus with all your heart for all your days. This is the path of wisdom, to love Jesus with all of your heart. Of course, soul, mind, strength, with all of your heart. For how long? For all your days. Would you stand with me, please, and let's pray together. Father, thank you for the power of your word today, the authority of your word God, we will joyfully rest beneath your authority. Would you tell us who we are this week in Christ Jesus? I pray that every son and daughter of God in this room would not let the world define them, but God, would you define them? Because out of that identity, they will then behave and speak and act and respond. Father, thank you for your word to us today. Holy Spirit, thanks for being our guide, our teacher. You always guide us to the right places. So Father, we ask that you would bless this time of response. In Christ we believe, in Christ we pray, amen.